You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. We're going to jump into Revelation 19. So this is uh, the second to last message. Next week, you're going to hear from my wonderful wife, Jessica. She's going to actually be summing up the series, finishing it up. Um, But I kind of wanted to camp this morning in Revelation 19 on kind of one section of passage. So we, we went all the way up through 15 uh, last week, um, the end of 15, and 16, 17, 18, 19. I don't want to skip all of 16, 17, 18, but let me just, I'll just give you a quick idea. It's just more of the reality of what God was doing on the earth, the whole wrath and judgment thing. You see more of this symbolistic language and this imagery that gets put out there. And there's still more stuff to it, but then it comes to chapter 19. So we see this, we see this warning from, from you know, Jesus at the beginning of Revelation. He's warning the bride, right? He's warning the church. And he gives those seven letters to the churches. And then he gets to this whole long warning. And that long warning is for the world, the world who doesn't know him yet. And actually what you see in chapter 18 is this constant repeat of it says, and they refused to repent and turn. And they refused to repent and turn. That even after all of these difficult and horrible things happening, they didn't turn to God. And so those other chapters are really about this warning and this, this like chance for everyone to come to God, to come to Christ, to turn from their own ways, and to turn towards him. And then we get to 19, and 19 through the rest of the the book of Revelation is different. It's a different storyline now. And and actually what begins to happen in 19 is this idea. It's finished. In fact, it says that. It is finished. There's a place where we start to see that the victory is won. and you, it, it describes that there's a victory over the beast and then a victory over the dragon and a victory over you know, all of the, the, the weird creatures that we saw come out in the other chapters, those symbolistic creatures. We see this victory that takes place and then there's this worshipful moment that happens in heaven in, in Revelations, Revelation 19. And I want to kind of read some of that and then camp on Uh, some of the scriptures, and we're going to actually turn to a few other things in the Bible. So here we are, Revelation 19. If you have your Bibles, you can open them. I just want to always remind you, we have free Bibles on those stands in the back. You can always take one, take one home. It's yours to keep if you need it. All right, Revelation 19. We're going to start in verse 6. So uh, this is, again, John writing what he sees and hears. So he says, Then I heard again, was sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. This idea of just, he was hearing something so loud it was deafening, right? It was consuming. And this is what he hears. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So there's this worship happening in heaven. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come For the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. I want to stop there. So this section of, of Scripture, we see this worship that happens, and then we see this moment where the angel says some things. And In fact, I've, I've heard a few times you know, in places where I've heard different people preach, they preach from this last scripture I just read. And a lot of your versions, it wouldn't read, the NLT obviously breaks it down a little differently. It says, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. You know, for, uh, I think some of yours would say, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I've heard this scripture preached on a number of times, and I kind of wanted to pull something out of that today, but I want to focus, before I get to that one, on what happens before this. This description that takes place, and I'm going to refer to a message that I, I spoke on. I'll give you a little brief overview. But this description comes in verse 7. It says, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. So in the New Testament especially in Matthew and the Gospels, we see Jesus use language like this numerous times. In fact, we see a couple parables where he talks about wedding feasts, right? Uh, I think it was maybe over a year ago even that I spoke on Matthew 22. And Matthew 22 is called the parable of the great feast. And what happens in this parable that Jesus is telling is, is that this king sends out invitations to a wedding. Does anybody remember this message? All right, good. But I'll give you a summary for those who weren't here. The king sends out these invitations to a wedding, and a whole bunch of people refuse to come. And kind of in my message, I talked about this reality that no one would refuse, in that day, no one would refuse an invitation to a king's wedding. And so for the Jews listening to the story, it was an absurd idea. What are you talking about? Who would refuse this king's message? Now, of course, Jesus is talking in parable because he's talking to the very people who are refusing him as king. And then it goes on and tells the story even further. So they send out more messengers to say, hey, why aren't you coming? The wedding feast is about to start. And in that part of the story, it says they, they actually beat him up and then kill some of the messengers. And so the king gets angry and there's this moment where it says he sends out and declares war on those people. Does this remind you of anything in Revelation? You see, that little parable of the wedding feast is kind of a summary of, of all of humanity, really. It's this place where God has an invitation to everyone. That's the point. Because what happens after this war happens is he opens up the invitation and he sends out more messages. He says, go to the street corners, to the highways, invite everyone. It says, good and bad alike, invite them into the wedding feast. And the point of that was to say, at one point, the Jews in that moment were the representation of God in this world, and they were the ones invited into this relationship with God. But now, God is, or Jesus is reframing. He's saying, this invitation to the wedding feast is open for everyone. Go out and get everybody. And I love that it says, good and bad alike. He's like, I, he doesn't care who. He doesn't care what they've done or, or anything. He just says, just bring them into the wedding feast. And it's this picture of humanity in this whole storyline, it's really a picture of the gospel, which is that God 
has made a way, an open door for everyone to be invited into this wedding feast. And we're, we're hearing this language again all the way here near, now at the end in Revelation 19. And it says that the wedding feast has begun. The, and it says the, the bride has prepared herself. And we know even through Jesus' other parables and teaching, and he refers to the bride, the bride being the church, his people, his holy people. So there's this kind of, this language happening that's supposed to, and it would have been completely understood by the Christians of the day. They would have been hearing this and going, oh yes, that's us. Oh yeah, the wedding feast that Jesus talked about. Remember that parable. And then we get to this part at the end of the parable in Matthew 22. And it says the king comes out and he's greeting the guests and he notices a man not wearing the right clothes for the wedding. And, and I kind of taught on this. And the reason I'm bringing this back up is because we have to understand this context for the rest. And Because in our Western minds, we look, we're like, okay, first you invite everybody off the street corners, good and bad alike. You don't care what kind of people but they are, but you kind of care what they're wearing. That seems weird. But the context in Jewish history is they would have been provided clothes. And I love that in Revelation 19, it confirms this very understanding, right? In verse Seven, or no, in verse 8 it says, She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. So this, the bride has been given the clothes that she's to wear, right? And it was, the same was true of the guests in this wedding feast parable, Matthew 22. They were given clothes. So as they came in, even if they were good and bad alike, just people off the street, they were given some clothes. Here, change into these. And... In the story, the king says, why haven't you put on the clothes? And it says the man had no answer. And then there's this kind of horrific turn of events. He, said, he tells his servants, hey, take this man, bind his hands and feet, and throw him into outer darkness. Like, whoa, that was intense. And then the last verse of that parable is it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And, and I, I want to make sure that we hear that right, because the description of that, the way it's written in English, isn't best. It really, it should say more, something more like this. For many are called, but few choose it. Because it actually is an ownership. You see, they were called in to the wedding, they were given the right clothes to wear, and then he decided not to wear them. And this is a picture of Christianity. Here we are, every one of us, level playing field. You read the beginning of Romans, the, 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 the book of Romans, and there's this kind of couple chapters where it just talks about sin, like over and over, and it, it's got lists of sins, and, and the reality, and it, and it talks about the Gentile sin, and then the Jews' sin, and the whole point of Romans, the beginning was to level the playing field of humanity to say that every one of us is really the same. You know, we, we've heard that scripture, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is the case. It's supposed to make us understand every one of us is far from God automatically because of the broken world we live in. But yet Jesus has made a way for us all to be invited into this wedding feast. But there's still a choice in our part. And there's this transformation that's supposed to happen in Christianity and in the Christian life where we look different than when we came in. You see, we can come in any way we look at all. But it seems like once we've sat in the wedding feast for a while, the king isn't so happy if we don't change our clothes. 
But sometimes don't we do that? We come to God, we come to Jesus, we have an experience with him. We're happy for his grace that he achieved on the cross, but yet we just like our regular clothes. I don't want to change who I am. I hear people say all the time, well, why would God want me to change who I am? I usually say because the who you are is an imposter. The real you, you don't know yet. The designed you from the beginning of time hasn't actually come out yet, and you've actually believed the lie that you're someone you're not. And so there's this transformation that's supposed to take place. And when we get to Revelation 19, there's a reminder of it to the church and to the world that there's this wedding feast we've been invited into. We've all been invited. And now it's actually happening in Revelation. This is the moment it's happening. And it says that the the bride has been given these perfect, pure linen, white clothes. So when I came in this morning, a few people go, wow, what are you wearing? I said, these are my wedding clothes. They're like, you're wearing nice shoes. I'm like, I can wear nice shoes. I know I don't dress up very often. And this isn't even very dressed up, right? Some of you are like, that's not dressed up. This is dressed up for Greg. I like to be comfortable. I like my jeans. I like my little sneakers. And so I put on, I literally woke up this morning. I prepared this much. I'm like, I'm going to put on something I would wear. Actually, the last time I wore these pants was to Josh and Jenna's wedding. Um, and, and. You know, I thought, you know what, I'm going to wear something different today. And listen, again, please don't ever mistake this message for something external. And the truth is, this would have been an argument for a lot of church history of why you should always show up to church with a suit and tie dressed to the nines. But see, what happens is sometimes in humanity, we always go for the external change before we go for the internal change. You see, Jesus is most concerned about the internal change, which then actually changes the external. And so there's this place that something should happen within us when we come to Christ that changes what we do look like on the outside. And there's this this kind of affirmation of it happening in Revelation 19. It says, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. This, This would have been a picture of purity, it would have been a picture of holiness. You know, there's, a, there's other scriptures in Matthew. It says that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Again, this clothing metaphor that talks about these perfectly laid out linens that don't even have a... Now, I have wrinkles. I know I do. I'm, I am never... I don't iron, okay? My wife does for me sometimes, <laughs> But without spot or wrinkle, like we we can all picture that even, this perfect looking bride. And when I've read that scripture and then I think about the church of 2022, I'm like, we got a lot of stains and wrinkles. We got a lot of things that Jesus needs to cover and iron out. And I think we're still in process. Now, don't mistake that also for we have to reach some point perfection before Jesus comes back. That's not the case. Because actually that spot or wrinkle, no spot or wrinkle happens because of what Jesus does on the cross. His grace covers the ugly clothes that we wore, but he does put something new on us. And we get to this spot in Revelation 19 and it's 
written and the people reading it even a couple thousand years ago and the people reading it today, we should read this moment and, and it should be an evaluation moment again. You see, a revelation, as much as it is meant to give us maybe a little foresight, it's actually meant more to prepare our hearts. You see, there's this preparedness that's supposed to be within every Christ follower, every Christian, where we are ready for Jesus at any moment. We're ready for his return at any moment. So we get to this spot, and he's talking about this bride in pure white linen, and then this angel says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we know the answer to this, right? Who's invited? Everyone. And then it says, these are true words that come from God. It says, he fell down on his feet to worship him, but he said, no, don't worship me. So I want to stop here for a minute. I actually want to turn, before I get into that, to Matthew 25, another parable. So Matthew 25 is the second parable concerning a wedding. And I'm going to read that, and we're going to pull a few things out of it. So Matthew 25, verse 1. This is Jesus teaching. He's giving an illustration. He says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So you've got this weird story that really doesn't make a lot of sense to us as Americans or as Westerners. But you can kind of try to put yourself in the understanding here. You've got these bridesmaids and they have these lamps and apparently they're supposed to keep these, these lamps burning. And it says the foolish ones didn't bring enough, but the wise ones, they brought extra. I almost said brung. They brought extra. <laughs> and it gets to this spot where it says the bridegroom, so the groom, was delayed. And so the wedding obviously couldn't start until the bridegroom out. Somehow, a couple thousand years later, we've switched that storyline. At every wedding I've been at, the groom's waiting and the bride's the one late. But it was common for these things to sometimes take a long time because both parties, the groom and the bride, were in this preparation phase, right? They were, they were going through all these kind of ritualistic, traditional preparations and soaking in oils, all these things. And so it would often take longer than they wanted. But these bridesmaids were there and they were supposed to meet the bridegroom to usher him in to the party, to the, to the ceremony and to the feast. And so they're there waiting for him, and it says that some, they, they, you know, some brought extra oil and some didn't bring quite enough oil. But then it gets to this spot where it says that he was delayed, and because of it, it says they became drowsy and fell asleep. And this should remind us of some of the letters to the churches. The letter to the church of Sardis, and the letter to the church of Laodicea, and and the one where the, the city had this, you remember the attack of the thief in the night. And the, the people, the watch people on the tower, they had fallen asleep. Well, there's this place where I think in Christianity, it's easy for us to get drowsy. It's easy for us to just kind of 
you know, we get saved or we have an experience with Jesus and we, we decide we want to follow him, but then it's like it becomes routine. You know, we get up for church on Sunday and then maybe sometimes we don't. And, you know, we, we used to wake up and, and read our Bible and we would spend time with Jesus in prayer in the car or we'd listen to worship music and, and we had this, this emphasis on following Jesus, but then it's easy for us to get drowsy and that's the metaphor that's taking place here that these bridesmaids, even though they were in this excited moment of waiting for the bridegroom to come, they still got drowsy and just fell asleep. And the same is true of Christians. It's easy for us, even though we're waiting. Now listen, just remember that the book of Revelation was written a couple thousand years ago. And in it, it says all of these events must soon take place. So I'm not sure about you, but I would say that the bridegroom probably seems delayed to all those who have read this. It's this comparison of Jesus coming back, his return coming for his people, for his bride. And we always think it's in a certain timeline, but it's probably going to be more delayed than we anticipated. And so there's this place where we have to be vigilant and not get drowsy and fall asleep. And there's also this metaphor that's happening with the oil and the lamp. So let's keep reading. Verse 7, it says, or at verse 6, it says, At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Now listen, the idea of midnight um, anytime in Scripture means this. The last second. It literally means at the latest possible moment, he shows up. I don't know about you and following Jesus, but that seems to be a little bit of how he works. I'm like, you know what, Jesus? I could use you right now. And I feel the same tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then sometimes it's after I've been praying for something for four or five years, then he shows up. And it's in the right timing, but it certainly felt like the last minute to me. But then again, I felt like the last minute was five years ago. And there's this place where, for some reason, Jesus tends to show up in almost this least expected moment, this least expected way. It says, at midnight, they're roused, and there's this shout, he's coming. It says, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. So they realize, oh, my lamp, it's, it's flickering, it's going out. Can you share some of yours? Now, this is not a story to tell your kids when you're trying to teach them sharing. It says, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. So he's not there right now, but he is coming. It's now like, seems imminent. The bridegroom's going to show up. <clears throat> and the ones who brought extra, they're like, listen, we can't share. We don't have enough for all of us. If we share with you, then all of them are probably going to go out. And the idea of this is interesting. It's really not to set a tone for whether you should share or not. It's to set a tone for the fact that following Jesus costs you a price. You see, the, the first five bridesmaids, they had paid the price for the extra oil. They brought it. They were prepared. They wanted to be ready for this bridegroom when he showed up. They wanted to be ready and show that they had put in the effort 
for him when he arrived. And the others, they kind of went about it a little bit lazy. And now they're saying, listen, you got to go and pay for it yourselves. And there's this place in Christianity that as much as we receive this gift of grace on the cross that covers our sins and immediately gives us entrance into this kingdom with God, there's still a price we pay to have relationship with him in what he's looking for. And I want to refer back to Matthew 7. There's a scripture in Matthew 7 that honestly kind of, t- I'm going to read it because I, I can usually quote it, but my brain isn't working as great today. In Matthew 7, this scripture that has always kind of scared me, and it's in verse 21, and this is what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I've read this scripture many times and I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. Because again, what we see is this, this comparison of an external following of God, which just says they cast out demons, they They healed the sick. They did all these miracles. But yet what Jesus is mostly interested in is, do I know you? And I don't know about you, but any relationship that I have that means anything costs me. The thing it probably costs me most is time. It costs me time of my investment into a relationship, into this this place with another person. And that time always seems to pay back in actually creating right relationship. You can't be in relationship unless you've given time to someone. And what we see is with these, these bridesmaids, they've, they've, they've got this extra oil. And I really think this is a metaphor for what have you invested into the kingdom of God? What have you invested into having relationship with Jesus? And it's why actually this is not a shareable thing. I can't give you my relationship with Jesus. You have to go and get it yourself. You have to go and buy it yourself. Now, it doesn't mean with literal money. It means with time. It means with effort. It means with this investment from your life into knowing Jesus. Because the end of what happens here in Revelation, or no, in the end of Matthew 25, the end of that parable Jesus says something very similar to what he just says there in Matthew 7. It says, All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked, said, Please give us some of your oil. Because, But the others replied, We don't have enough for us. Go to the shop and buy for yourselves. In verse 10, But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. You see, I think Matthew 25 in this parable honestly helps to summarize a lot of what is taking place in the book of Revelation. That we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Anybody who tells you they know, they're wrong. We don't know. Could be today. 
Sure. Could be another thousand years from now. Could be even longer than that. I have no idea. But what I know is that Jesus and the book of Revelation is putting this kind of warning, caution out there, especially for Christians and also for the world, that there's a place where there needs to be a preparedness in our heart for him at all times. And the only way to be prepared for any of this is to know him. To know him. To give him our life and our time and our energy, our space. And I loved what Sally said today. This, there's a scripture where it says, now that you've been set free, make sure you stay free. The truth is Christianity is a little bit of a maintenance work. Now, I don't, I don't think if you don't maintain, you lose this grace and you're not going to go to heaven. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about actually having a relationship with Jesus is a maintenance work, as is any relationship. If I relied solely on all the things I did for my wife in the first year of marriage, I'm not sure after 18 years now, we'd have that much of a good marriage. I invest. I give my time. I think about her. I think about how I can constantly grow our relationship. The same as what Jesus is asking us to do, and it's why I think even in Genesis Two, before the fall of mankind, we see marriage as this institution because it was always meant to give us a picture. And it's why Jesus constantly uses marriage and wedding feasts as another picture for us to understand our relationship with him. That there's a place where he's drawing us into intimate, personal relationship. To know him, to be with him. You know, I'm I'm fairly certain that I've gotten a whole lot of things wrong on this side of the earth. Even in my leadership of this church, I am absolutely certain I've gotten things wrong. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I am absolutely certain that as I read the scriptures, I believe wrong things. But what I am completely also certain of is that none of that matters because I know Jesus. So if I die today and I stand before him moments later, it's not an introduction. It's a, I've been waiting to see you. It's a moment where all of the other things that I thought I stood on for my Christianity and for my faith don't really actually matter. It just simply what matters is, do I know you? And I do. Think about it this way. It's like, Imagine going to your best friend's wedding and you show up. Do you wonder if you're on the list? Not at all. It's your best friend. There's no, you don't even have a question. Oh, I'm, of course I'm invited into this. That's what following Jesus should feel like. The assurance we have in eternity with him is it should feel like that, not based on even what we read from the word. And I, I want to end on this quick note. I could preach a whole message on this next part. Because what happens immediately after this in Revelation 19, it says that John falls down and worships the angel. And what does the angel do? He rebukes him. He says, wait, what are you doing? Don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. And I'll tell you, one thing that happens in Christianity is sometimes we worship 
the things of God more than we worship God himself. We, we turn our eyes to the things of God, and, and honestly, one of them could easily become this. We look at the Bible, and, and we often say the Bible is synonymous with the Word of God, but John 1.1 1, 1 says that the Word of God is Jesus. And so though, though Jesus, we believe, read this, and it's written down for us, this is not God himself. This is just a picture of us to understand God so that we can get to know him. I think if the Bible could talk today, it would probably rebuke a bunch of us saying, don't worship me. I'm not him. And Revelation, the whole book is this admonition, this, this kind of calling and drawing on people to say, listen, look at me above everything else. And the time is nearer than you maybe think it is, or, or maybe it's even further than you think it is, but you should have a prepared heart. You should have this prepared understanding of me, this prepared relationship, and nothing should get in the way. Nothing should distract you. Nothing should make you drowsy in all of this. Why don't we stand this morning? I just want to read Revelation 19, 11 before I pray. Because what's great about these next number of chapters is we win. These next number of chapters is Jesus wins and, and everything that we've seen, the world going awry is made right. That he writes things that we see the city of God coming down from heaven. We start to see this picture of, of a victorious and restored world. And it starts with this verse in chapter 19, verse 11. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Listen, Jesus is faithful and true. Wherever you're at in life, whatever your circumstances are right now, whatever distractions have maybe tried to draw you away from him, maybe what distractions have actually kept you from coming to know him, maybe you're listening or watching or in this room and you're like, I don't even know if I know Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, you can set aside immediately all those distractions and in this moment, you can come to know him. It's a simple place in your heart where you say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I don't want to do it my own way anymore. I don't want to go about life my own way anymore. Repentance is simply an acknowledgement of us looking at the direction we used to go, realizing it's not a good one, turning and going a different one. So this attitude of repentance comes into our heart and we actually say, Jesus, I want to go a new way. He's, I think he's drawing all of us a new way today. We sang a song today, Wake Up Sleeper. I think for some of us, he's just saying, wake up. Don't fall asleep yet. I still have more to do with you. I have still more to do in you. So I want to pray for you this morning. I believe that God is drawing us. He's drawing every one of us closer today. And there's this place where he wants to ready every one of our hearts. So God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. God, as individuals, God, we thank you that you're drawing every one of us in our circumstances, in our situations. God, you don't ignore us. You don't not see what's happening, God. So we ask right now, draw us despite all of the things in the world that want to come and distract us.
God, we ask, help capture our attention again. Let us have ready hearts for you, Jesus. Let us have ready spirits for you, God. And Father, we ask right now for you to bless every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, we often talk about faith being a journey, a process. And sometimes that, that journey starts with the first step. And then more often it starts with the next step and the step after that and the step after that. And wherever you're at this morning, as, as Greg said, whether this, these are new thoughts, whether this is a new moment to turn to Jesus for the first time, or this is 30 years later, still taking those steps toward Jesus, we're, we're all on this journey together. You know, as we walk in the, 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 the lobby and we see know God, love one another, make disciples, it's our heart at NTC that we all know God so that when we meet him, it's that welcome home. It's that good to see you because we know him. And as I said, whether this is a new step or whether we've been on this journey, we're all taking those first steps, those next steps today. Gave us a lot to chew on. <laughs> I almost want to just go back and start all over from the beginning and say, let me listen to all that again. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. God, that you're drawing us. God, that you invite us into relationship with you, into relationship with the creator of the universe. God, the sustainer, the provider of all things. God, that you welcome everyone. You invite everyone to come to your table. God, I pray that we all respond in our own way, in our own moment, in this moment, in this time, whatever that next step is, whatever that journey needs to take us, that we embrace it, that we lean into you, that we know you more today and are able to share that knowledge with other people, to share that life, that love, that hope, that peace with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Be encouraged. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.